0: This is Cassie Odom. Uh, she's our kids pastor here at Bayou City, and, and uh, we're excited uh, to do this together. I brought a picture of our kids, just in case any of you needed to know if we had any credibility today. We do. This is uh, Sadie on the left. That's uh, Cassie's daughter. She's a year and a half, and those are my three hoodlums, uh, and, uh, and they are 10 and 7 and 6 months old. So, so we're credible uh, voices today on Mother's Day. You know, Mother's Day is a, is, feels like a good day uh, or a bad day, really depending on how your children have acted the last few hours. <laughs> Some of you moms are not feeling so hot today because the ride over here was not so hot. Some of you are on cloud nine because your husband did all of the work and he had to do all of the yelling and screaming to get your kids here. Uh, I was trying to think this week about the angriest I had ever made my mom. Just to give you a little hope, uh, I think it was when I was 16 or 17 years old, I was on a trip with my church uh, serving God, that's what we were doing, and I decided on that trip, what I really needed in my life was an earring, all right? Now this is back in the 90s, which if you can remember, if you had a earring in the left ear, just the left ear, I don't know why, but the left ear was where it was at as a dude, if you had an earring in the left ear, you were amazing and awesome, and so I really wanted one, but my mom had made it clear, along with my dad, my mom had made it clear, that's a no-go in the Jones house, which I respected, but now I was not in the Jones house anymore, I was outside the Jones house, I was in another state, and so I think I, I need to get an earring, which just, just so we're all on the same page, I was rebelling against my parents, which was rebelling against God on a trip in which I was trying to serve God, just so we're all <laughs> clear on what was happening So my strategy was, I'll pierce my ear, I'll wear it for the week that I'm gone, and then when I get home, I can pick and choose when I put it in. I don't have it in at home, I leave the house, I put it in, be super cool. And so this is what I I planned to do. The problem was, you know, it wasn't like my youth pastor was just gonna swing by the Claire's at the mall (laughs) for me to get my ear pierced. But we went to a store, just like a regular store, That had earrings and so I bought one. It was actually a cross earring so that, you know, the Jesus thing I was on board with (laughs) rebelling, but still connected. So I bought (laughs) a cross earring and I bought a drink with ice in it. I took both of those things to the men's bathroom. I took out a piece of ice and started holding it to my ear for just a few minutes, just long enough for it to melt and get messy, but not actually do any numbing. And then I took that earring and I started jamming it through my ear. You didn't know I was so strong, did you? But I am. And so for, I started, I had a cross earring and I was just over the moon. I'm not sure I had ever felt better about myself as I did in that moment. The problem was, I was a trendsetter in our little youth ministry from our tiny little church in Springfield, Missouri. And so one of the other guys on the trip, he's like, I need an earring also in the left ear. That guy though, not thinking ahead, he calls his mom and he asks his mom, can I pierce my ear while I am on this trip? And his mom said, have you lost your mind? A no in Missouri is a no in your trip. And he says, well, Curtis pierced his ear phone gets hung up. The old rotary phone. You remember that? <laughs> 8626564, Springfield, Missouri. My mom picks up the phone. Pretty soon I get a phone call out of state. Now this was pre-cell phone days. So they had to track me down. It's my dad. He says, I, I know that you have pierced your ear. Now just a little family moment invite you in my dad and I we're not the ones to converse about such things that was my mom so the fact that my dad is the one to call I know I am a dead man this is the last (laughs) thing that I'm you know he, he says I we know we know what you have done we know that you have pierced your ear and you better take that out right now and this is the reason that he gives your mom is furious so if you're not feeling good about your Mother's Day today, I grew up to be a pastor, so <laughs> there's hope. Today may not be a good day, but tomorrow can be a good day. So, so we are celebrating moms today, but behind celebrating moms, we're also celebrating the raising up of children, and that involves all of us. Today. Um, You know that phrase, it takes a village. It really does. Some of you are not moms today, some of you are not dads, but you are a part of the village and you are necessary for the raising up of children. When you think about who you would give credit to for sitting in the seat that you're sitting in right now, it's somebody. That standing alongside your mom or dad. And so we have moms and dads today, but we also have village moms and dads today. We have village aunts and uncles today. We have village older brothers and older sisters. So we're talking about raising up children and you are involved in that this morning. You know, the apostle Paul, he did not have any physical Children. He didn't have any physical offspring, but he definitely had some spiritual offspring. He had spiritual children. And he writes to those spiritual children in Philippians chapter 4, if you wanted to turn there. Philippians chapter 4. It says this in verse 8. Finally, brothers whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. So that's a pretty impressive list. Parents, moms and dads, how much would you be willing to pay today in order for your children to turn out like that list? For these things to be true about your kids that you are currently raising, that they would be true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. They would be morally excellent, that when people encounter them, they would give praise to God because they interacted with your kids. How much money would you pay? I would be willing to say that you would pay almost an infinite amount of money in order for that to be true. And it moves us as parents, it moves us as village aunts and uncles and older brothers and older sisters when we see these things in our children. This past week, Willa, our six-month-old, she had her six-month doctor's appointment and she had to get three shots. And so she came home from the doctor with three little Band-Aids on her legs, two on one side and one on the other When our big kids got home from school, Jackson saw those little Band-Aids on her legs and he he ran up to her and he picked her up in his arms and he said, Willa, I'm so sorry that you had to get shots. If I could have taken them for you, I would. It moved us, it melted us. That's honorable, that's commendable. We praise God for that. And we praise God for that because we've been around for just longer than one week. We know that not every day is a good day and he might not say something like that next week, but he did then and it moved us. This list is the goal. If you are raising children, if you are a mom or dad, this is the target. If you're an aunt, an uncle, a part of the village, this is what we're after. But we feel the suction towards the short term. We feel the current pulling us towards the shallow end of the short term, short term goals like I want my kid to be the best at fill in the blank. I want them to be the valedictorian of their kindergarten class. I want them to be the best on their football team, which is great. Those things are all great. We learn so much from school, obviously. We learn so much even from playing sports and gymnastics and dance. We learn so much, and our kids will learn so much from that. But those are short-term goals. If you're, if you're not sure whether it's a short-term goal for your kid, here's what you wanna do. You, you guys, you men, you have the football player and your, your son, he's all into it, and he's awesome, and he loves putting on the pads, and you love when he runs the touchdown and steals the uh, pass and intercepts it and tackles. You love all that. If you're not sure whether or not that's a short-term goal, though, I want, I want you to do something. I want you to go home and look in the mirror. And if you do not look like someone that they would pay to play football, <laughs> short-term goal. You love basketball. Basketball's the best. It's my, my favorite. You're a kid. You love it. You just love it. They love it. You love it. It's awesome. Short-term goal. Unless you can go home, get the tape measure out and the pencil, stand along the wall, mark it, measure it, and it says six foot two, six foot four, six foot five, six foot seven for you probably short-term goal for them. And it's good, it's a good short-term goal, but you and I live in a place where short-term goals and long-term goals get switched, where they're confused. Your daughter's in gymnastics and she's wonderful at it, but you're five foot five. She's gonna be too tall to be an Olympian. Short-term goal. You put so much emphasis on your school, your your kids' education, 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 education. Listen, flip back through your own ACT and SAT scores. Yeah, best case scenario, they might be a little bit higher than yours. But if you couldn't be the valedictorian on your best day, they might not be able to too. So maybe that first grade award is a short-term goal. And not a long-term goal, but we feel the suction towards the shallow end of the short term. Why? Well, A, our kids ask for it. Most of us got into this busy schedule because our kids ask for it. But here's what we need to know about children. They are nearsighted. And the younger they are, the more nearsighted they are. God has given you to them as a gift because you can see past the short term. But when the parents lose sight of the long-term and can only see the short-term, there is no hope for the family. You cannot trust your children to have the necessary wisdom for your family. They're nearsighted. We also feel the suction towards the shallow end of the short-term because of community pressure. Everyone we're rubbing shoulders with has short-term goals. And it is almost impossible to resist the pull. The values of the community will eventually become the values of your family. So if the community values sports, the people that you're rubbing shoulders with, eventually your family will value sports. If your community values education and puts that as the long term goal, eventually you will too. And then underneath that, the style of education, whatever the community values, whatever the people that you're bumping up into against, if they value homeschool, eventually homeschool will become a value of your family. If they love private school, eventually private school will become a value of your family. If they're public school people, eventually public school will become the value of your family because the values of the community are almost impossible to resist for the family. And we fear isolation. We wanna escape that feeling of exile that we are on the outside looking in. We'll do anything to resist it. And if we have to conform to make sure that we are not on the outside, then we will you will, I will. So we get sucked into the shallow end of short-term goals because of community pressure. We also end up there because the long-term goals, goals like Philippians chapter four, verse eight, that our kids would be true and just and lovely and pure and commendable and honorable and worthy of praise and morally excellent. They're hard to measure. If your kid finishes number one in the fourth grade, they send you home with a note and a ribbon. Nobody's giving out rhythm, ribbons this week for, for speaking the truth. They're hard to measure and they take forever to bear fruit. And so we get sucked into the shallow end, but God has called us to something higher. He's called us to, to something bigger and he tells us how in verse nine, do what you have learned and received And heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. So four things today. Do what you have learned, number one. What you have received, number two. What you have heard, number three. And what you have seen in me. This is what the Apostle Paul writes to his spiritual children. So we want our children to whether we're a mom or dad, village mom or dad, aunt, uncle, village, aunt or uncle, we want our children to learn from us. There needs to be a teaching. There needs to be something intentional. If I asked you what you were teaching your kids for the next few months, what would you be able to say? Survival, right? That's what it would be for my house. I'm teaching my kids to survive this family experience for the next couple of months, But on top of survival, what is it that you're trying to teach them? What part of the scripture are you trying to read with them the next few months? What are you you trying to develop them in prayer? I mean, listen to your kids pray. It's very sweet. It's not that good. I mean, God does care about all the things that they have mentioned. But they're a long ways from the kind of prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So how are they going to end up there? They're going to end up there because you teach them how to pray. Do they know about what's going on in the world uh, according to their appropriate age level and how God might intervene and how God might use us to intervene? They have to be taught that. What is it that you're intentionally teaching them? Because you are their best teacher. You may like, well, I'm not really a teacher. I, I don't. I didn't go to school to do that. I'm not the kind of person, you know, the only kids that I honestly like are my own kids and that's because I have to like them. I just don't see myself as a teacher. Whether you see yourself as a teacher or not, this is what God has called you. This is what he has called you to. You are a teacher and your children are students. What you have learned and what you've received.
1: I feel so privileged to be able to share with you guys this morning about Mother's Day. Um, so I'm just going to jump right in. A lot of people ask me if Mother's Day is hard for me. I lost my mom nine years ago, so um, we just have had a lot of rough Mother's Days right before uh, she passed away, actually. Uh, but I do have a great memory. The last Mother's Day I had with her before she passed away, was about it was about three weeks before she died, and we started the morning at church. So it was the very last day she made it into the service, and in her wheelchair and all, she just wheeled herself right up there, and we were just... Together as a family, so that was a great memory uh, for the last two Mother's Days that we had with her, and the one before that was kind of awful, actually. If I could just share a story with you, Um, she had a brain tumor, and most times you don't have um, for for her. She did not have a lot of complications with her brain tumor. She had had this tumor for two years Um, outside of her treatment. There just weren't that many complications. But the day before Mother's Day, a year before she passed away, she had a, a huge seizure, and it threw my whole family off, and nobody knew what to do. They all went into panic mode, kind of freaked out, but I remember, I was like, why are you panicking? Like, she gave us a gift. We received a gift from her, and it was this thing we, at our house. We called it the white book. Um, it looked a lot like this. That's why I put my notes in this today to show you. It's just a white binder, and my mom had compiled everything that we needed to know in case of a medical emergency for her. So it was uh, doctor's numbers, doctor's addresses, like where to go, what to do, who to call. She even compiled in it uh, funeral arrangements. So she made it very easy for us. In, a, in the moment of a crisis, we knew what to do. So I'm, I just remember staring at my family and I'm thinking, why are you panicking? I know what to do. I just sprung into action. Um, and I felt very calm through the, through the whole day. Uh, so they had to give her a lot of medicine, you know, to get the swelling down off her brain. So she was kind of out of it and unconscious for about 12 hours. This is about midnight, so now we're on Mother's Day. My dad and I are the only family members that <laughs> lasted the whole day. And the medical staff comes in, and they're like, hey, she's alert and awake. You can, you can go see her now. And so we walk in the, the hospital room, and she had, I have this picture in my mind. I can clearly see the look on her face. And she looks at my dad and I, and she's like, What happened? Like, what's the big deal? What are we doing here? And I just started laughing and I was like, oh my goodness, you have no idea what transpired today. And I just wanna thank you because I had the white book and I knew what to do. So I received that great gift from my mom that I didn't have to worry what to do in that situation. I knew. Um, she she just equipped us and I sprung into action and I kind of felt like I was in my element actually. Uh, but another thing that my parents gave me, uh, the greatest gift, I feel like they both passed down to me, uh, is a faith and a life in Jesus. And so they actually gave me this Bible. I wanted to bring it to you today just just to show you. This is a Bible my parents gave me uh, when I turned 18, and it it means a lot to me. I still use it to this day even though it's kind of old now, but I really loved it. And it just means so much to me that my parents took time to to live out their faith in front of my brother and I and to be that example. So I just wanted to share with you the inscription that my mom wrote to me, uh, which I still teared up this week, looking back at it and thinking like, I'm so thankful that she took the moment to write that out. So she presented it to Cassie Thompson because I was not a teenage bride. Uh, That was my maiden name. It says by mom and dad with much love and adoration on January 16th, your 18th birthday. We are so blessed to have you as our daughter. What a joy you have been to our lives. Keep your firm foundation on Jesus and he will carry you through it all. God has great plans for you and how exciting it will be to see them unfold. After my mom wrote that, I had five more wonderful years with her. Uh, And we just got all this time together. And I I feel like even though her life was short, we soaked it up as best as we could and spent as much time as as we could together. And she gave me a ton of confidence and not in myself, of my own accord or my own actions. Her and my dad just instilled in us a confidence and a faith in Jesus. And that's something I will treasure forever. And I pray I can pass on to Sadie, my daughter now, my, my husband, I pray that we can just encourage her and give her the firm foundation in Jesus that she needs. And we pray that for our future children that we wanna have but not only did I receive my from my parents a gift of Jesus faith and faith and gifts like a Bible that I can treasure in her words that she gave me, but I also heard my parents live out their faith. Um, and it wasn't something, you know, as Christians, I've talked about this in some of our mom's groups and Wisdom for Women before. Um, my mom, my parents' faith wasn't something they did behind closed doors, or it wasn't something we just did on Sundays, and they talked about it, and they told us, um, yeah, you know, you should really pray about that. Like, no, like my family... It was not uncommon for us to pray together all the time. And I'm not talking about a 24-7 never-ceasing prayer and we were super religious and it was these magical bedtime moments that the Holy Spirit moved in our home. I, I just mean we might be driving down the road and see a car accident and my mom would just break out into prayer. Or we're at home, somebody calls, there's an emergency. We would stop as a family and pray. Or we're just sitting together and my mom felt a leading and a nudging from the Holy Spirit. She's like, I feel like we should pray for your cousin right now. Let's stop and pray. So something very common, very practical, and it reminds me from the passage in Deuteronomy, and I'm just going to read that for us really quick, where God is instructing the Israelites of how to instruct your children. It's from chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It's one of my favorite passages. It says, "'Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength.'" These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in our childhood home where I grew up... um, it was just an older house. I, I remember during that time, I was I was ten years old when my mom was very first diagnosed with cancer. So in the in the house we were living with during living in during that time, I remember um, it wasn't just the bad diagnosis of cancer. At the same time, my dad's business started to fail. And he had to take on about three other jobs to kind of help keep things going in our, in our home. And one of those jobs was working a 12-hour shift work on the plants at 225, help being a helper to the boilermakers uh, from a union. So he wasn't even like, the main guy. He was just a helper. And we're talking about a college educated man who was also an officer in the United States Navy. So I just, I look back at that. And I'm like, gosh, my dad is so full of integrity to, to work so hard, to put food on our table and to pay most of the bills. Uh, so he would go in at six at night and get off at six in the morning. And I remember helping him make his sandwiches like before he would go to the shift work and we'd spend a little time together. So all you moms who are in the throes of raising your kids right now, wondering if they will ever be able to make their own sandwiches. I was 10 years old and I could make my dad's own lunch. So be encouraged today about that. Uh, So I just remember he'd come home at 6 a.m. He'd sleep a couple hours and then go to the failing business because it was providing insurance for our family, then helping pay those medical bills for my mom. So uh, he kind of had to keep the facade going of the business. So I just, I can't even imagine the despair that my family must've felt but back in that childhood home we had this poster and it was it looks like your typical Sunday school poster and it had a biblical soldier kind of standing there it was very um, 80s ish i guess and listed on the biblical soldier was at the armor of god from head to toe you know the helmet the breastplate the sword of the spirit the belt of truth just all of it was was on there and i don't even know where why we had the poster or where it came from my dad just in one night of just feeling the world crumbling in on us of the bad diagnosis, no money, what are we going to do? And he runs and he gets that poster and he takes it to the front door and he gets a hammer and he nails it into the back of our front door. And I remember as a family, we gathered around that door, staring at the poster, and we prayed out loud from the depths that we, we said, no, we are not going to give in. We are going to stand firm in our faith. So I heard my parents stand out there and, and pray. And it wasn't, you know, they didn't just say, oh, well, we're going to pray about this, and we're just going to trust, and we're just going to believe. Like, no, like I saw my parents on their hands and knees crying out to God, and they lived that out in front of my brother and I. So fast forward a couple of years, we ended up moving to a suburb of Houston. Um we had my mom went to remission. We had some great years together and really just enjoyed our family. And I uh remember about the year 2000, my mom was re-diagnosed, and now her cancer has come back with a vengeance, and we're kind of going through the same thing of like, what are we going to do? Um, his dad has a better job now, but is it going to be enough for the insurance? Like, what, you know, just what are we going to do? And I remember thinking somewhere buried in our new garage was that poster, and I went and found it and dug it out. And as a family, we did it again, and we posted it on the nice, the new nice front door that had glass in it, and we didn't care. It covered up the glass. We didn't care, and people would see it when they came in and out of our house but we were looking back at deuteronomy and we thought if there is something physical we can do to put God's scripture on the doorpost of our home, we're going to do it. And we're not going to be ashamed and we're not going to be embarrassed that it's this Sunday school poster from probably 1985. Uh, we're going to own it and we're going to have it there on our front door. And it was, I mean, it just stayed there as a staple, and I will never forget that moment. And I remember um, busting into my mom's door one morning, just unannounced, like asking her a question. She just got out of bed, and I literally heard her putting on her armor of God. So it was, it wasn't something, um, that they hid. They were very vocal about their faith with us, very true and honest to my brother and I. And I really, really, really appreciate that and value that and thank that, thank my parents for that. So my mom was like Job and she never cursed God for why her or why was our family put in this situation or we had to face all these trials or extra things, uh, but she just stayed true to her faith until the moment that she walked into eternity with Jesus. So uh, she, in the white book, she left me a letter and it was clearly instructed, do not open until after I'm gone. And so I wanted to share those last words I have from my mom that I was able to hear from her. She says, I am so sorry that the last part of my life has been even harder than the whole 13 years of having cancer. God so blessed me all of those years, and I was at so much peace. I believe it was his time to prepare us for my trip to heaven. I am sorry for how it has affected you and hope you trust in Jesus to help you focus on your loss and grief. And also let others help you. You don't have to be the only one for everybody else. I love you so much, and I'm so blessed to have been a part of your life. God loaned you to me, ha, ha. You are such a wonderful woman, and I know you will have a great life. Just continue to trust in Jesus as he will help you through. You have been such a blessing to me, and I know it has also been some sad times for you and everything you have been through with me. But thank you for your love and support. I love you. I love you. I love you. Mom. P.S. I love you so much.
0: Do what you do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Eventually, your character is going to outpace everything else in your life. As a parent, as those raising children, we have to have alignment. Cassie's story is so powerful because her parents had alignment down the middle. Mind, words, heart, feet. We've all met people. We've all known people who didn't have alignment. They had all the right words and they could say the right words and they could say, I, I'm going to pray for you. We'll pray about that. But they didn't have alignment. It wasn't in their heart. And so it never happened. We all know people who had uh, all the right motions with their feet. They did all the right religious things. They came to church all the time, all the time, all the, all the time. But it was no alignment. It wasn't in their heart. Their mind wasn't focused on it. So as we're raising up children, that's what we're seeking. See, God is not looking for perfectly complete parents. He's looking for those who will be consistent, whose minds will be consistent with their words and their words will be consistent with their hearts and their hearts will be consistent with their feet. So it's good news today. You don't have to be a perfect parent. You're gonna fail miserably if that's your goal. But can you be consistent? Can you talk about what's in your heart? Can the things that you do in Jesus' name with your feet, with your lives, be the same as what's in your mind, the same in your words? Eventually, your character will outpace everything else in your life. Alignment down the middle, and this is how he finishes Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. So being responsible for children is terrifying, isn't it? It's terrifying. I'm responsible for two of my kids right now at this very moment. They're here at church with me. Amanda's at our other campus. She had some responsibility there. She's got the baby because she's the most responsible. But I got the two big kids. I think I know where they're at right now. I think so. And I'm a little, little worried about it. Because being responsible is terrifying. Because you have to feel like you got to be with them. You have to be the one to see them. When you leave for a babysitter, it's like a happy miss. It's like I'm happy to be leaving you right now. But I'm a little nervous. Is everything going to be all right when you leave them with grandpa and grandma? And grandpa and grandma are going to get in their cars and drive around. It makes you nervous when you put that teenager in the car and send them off on their own. It makes you nervous. It makes you feel anxious why? Because you are responsible with them and you want to be with them all the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time to make sure that they are safe. but this is good news for us who are raising children as we've said, all of us are raising children today. The God of peace will be with them. He has them. that's his responsibility. what's our responsibility? the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in? Me. His responsibility is to be with them. Your responsibility is that truth, justice, loveliness, honor, what's worthy of praise, that that would be in you. It's not just your job to protect your kids. He is with them. It's your job to make make sure that all of this is in you today. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for equipping the village today as we partner together with parents in raising up children who you have known and called by name before the foundation of the world. So help us to lead them, train them, guide them, teach them, show them. Help us. We say on our own, we're not enough. But you are more than enough. So we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.